to our online worship experience for today, Monday, Thursday. And wherever, whenever, and however you may be watching this, we want to say welcome. My name is Nathan Miske. I'm the youth director here at Christ Church, as well as one of the vicars or pastors in training as well. And it's my privilege and honor to be able to present the message to you today on this Monday, Thursday. Now, if you don't know what Monday, Thursday even is, that's okay. Not a lot of people do. Uh, but what Monday, Thursday is, it's, it's one of our Holy Week celebrations. Holy Week is the week before Jesus' death that we celebrate every year. So it begins on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated this past Sunday, where Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. It goes through Monday, Thursday, which we'll talk about today. We look forward to Good Friday, which is when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, and we look forward to Easter, where he will rise again and conquer over death and sin. But today, why we are here today is to celebrate Maundy Thursday. And most simply put, Monday Thursday is a commemoration of the Last Supper. And if you don't know what the Last Supper is, uh, it's, it's when Jesus gathered together with his 12 disciples over Zoom. No, obviously not. But that would be most similar to how we're celebrating it today. No, but instead, Monday, Thursday is when Jesus gathered together in the upper room with his disciples. And Monday, Thursday celebrates a lot of aspects of that Last Supper. There was traditions. There was communion instilled. There's, there's the washing of the feet. In fact, that's where the word Monday comes from, is the washing of the feet. You see, as Jesus entered into the upper room and as his disciples entered in, Jesus chose to wash their feet in service to them. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but after this passage in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives a command to his disciples, a mandate, if you will. And the, and the word, the Latin word for mandate is mandatum, mandi. And this Monday Thursday is command Thursday. And the command is this, to love one another. So when Jesus washes the, the feet of his disciples and then gives them this command to love one another, that's what he's just saying. He's mandating love. So we commemorate all of this on Monday, Thursday. But what the Last Supper really is, in essence, it was, it was kind of a dinner party. All, you see, Jesus got together with his friends who had been traveling with for three years, so it was basically family, Right? And, and they were celebrating a holiday. They were looking back and celebrating the Passover festival, looking back and remembering this Jewish holiday, commemorating when God passed over the houses of the Jews who were slaves in Egypt and was able to get them out of slavery by doing this. And you know what? I kind of once had a Passover dinner party as well. I went to a friend's house on Easter. Okay, it was Easter, not Passover, but it's the same week. And in his backyard was the parking lot for a synagogue. So I'm, I'm going to count it as Passover. And what happened was I got to experience a lot of traditions there. You see, I never got to really go home on Easter when I was in college, so I often went to different friends' houses. And it was really cool because I got to see a lot of different traditions, different, different ways they celebrate Ah, this tradition of Easter. And this one family whose friend's house I went to certainly had a lot of traditions. In fact, they had a lot of traditions just in life in general. One of these traditions was a tradition of hospitality. 
You see, I'd worked at the, with this friend at a Bible camp for years. And often on our days off, he lived pretty close by, we would go over to his house. And he had five or six siblings, and almost all of them also worked at camps. So they almost always brought friends over too. And there was always traditions when we went over to this house, and basically the main tradition was you ate a lot of food. You never left that place full. I don't think it's ever, or hungry, I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think it's even possible to leave that place hungry because their mom is the most hospitable person I've ever met. But on this particular Easter, they also had some traditions. And my favorite one of these traditions was their Easter walk which was crazy because they had been, they'd been promoting this Easter walk the whole day, right? Because I went to church with them in the morning, got to experience their Easter church service, and, and I heard rumblings of it while we were there whispering about the Easter walk and how they were looking forward to it. And then we got back to their house and they were eating and, and talking about the Easter walk. And then we got to the point where we were going to do the Easter walk, the last tradition of the day, and we go, <laughs> we go outside, we take a right, and we walk one block. And then we take another right. We walk one block, take another right, walk one block, take a right, and where are we? Back at their house. It was about a three-minute walk that had been being promoted all day as this huge, amazing thing. And that was, that's just a funny story. But the other th tradition that was there that day was, happened right before we ate. You see, we had gotten ready to eat, the food was all out on the table, we were ready to start eating, but before we started eating, the two youngest kids, uh, the youngest one being around 16 at the time, started passing out Easter eggs, and not real eggs, the plastic eggs where you normally open it up on like an Easter egg hunt and there might be like a dollar bill in there, or some candy, some jelly beans, something like that. But they told us very specifically, don't open it, and, and this one is yours. So they got given out in a specific order and we weren't supposed to open them yet. And there was about four or five of us who hadn't been at one of these Easter traditions at this house before. Like I said, very hospitable. There was like 20 people here. As there was four or five of us who hadn't been at one of these before, and we're looking at each other, making eyes at each other, like, what is going on? This is so weird. But what happened was the first person opened their egg, took out what was inside, which was like a little trinket, a little token, uh, something, that helped explain the Easter story. And this first one, if I remember right, was a little piece of bread, and they got to talk about the Last Supper and about communion. Because once you opened your item, you had to talk and tell that part of the Easter story. And it was normally like 15, 20 seconds, just told a little blurb about it. So they were going through, and then it got to me. And while this is happening, I'm thinking two things. The first is this. This seems like a little kiddish, right? Why are we doing this? We're mostly adults. We all know the Easter story. We don't need to hear this. this. This seems like a tradition that we've aged out of. But okay, I'll play along. And then the second thing I was thinking was, you know, I'm a, I'm a college student going into ministry. I got this. Like, I'll, I'll be able to give some good knowledge for these people. So I, I opened my egg up, and inside is, is a sword. At least I thought it was a sword. I was convinced it was a sword. And I'm racking my brain thinking, where's there a sword in this story? The first place I think is, well, did, when Jesus' side was pierced, was that, was that with a sword? Nah, maybe, I don't know. But we're not that far in the story yet. What, what happened before with a sword? You know what? And then I thought of what happened with a sword, and I start talking about it. And it's Peter, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, gets his, uh, Peter cuts off the ear 
of one of the guards who was arresting Jesus. And there's a whole thing about that. That's not what tonight's about. But I was, I was going on about this. I talked for about two minutes about this. Everyone else had talked for 15 seconds. I was going on how Jesus ta- taught Peter and all these crazy things about what happened there. And I get done, and I've blessed these people with my knowledge about this situation, you know, all arrogantly and such. And I'm done, and I'm like, all right, I think it's your turn. And the youngest son at this point kind of leans over the table at me. He was sitting across from me and, and whispers, trying to be very polite, hey, hey, hey Nathan, that's, that's the cross. So what I thought was a sword was actually the cross. So what I did was I took, took this now what I realized was a cross and said, turns out this is the cross. I think we all know about the cross. Jesus, Jesus died for our sins on one of these. I think it's your turn. So that was the Easter tradition I got to experience. The dinner party with traditions and teaching around it. And that's what happened at the Last Supper. Jesus instilled traditions in the Last Supper. He, he instilled the tradition of washing feet. The Mondi is a tradition where we now as Christians wash each other's feet in remembrance of what Jesus did for his disciples. And then Jesus instilled the tradition of communion, right? He broke the bread. He said, this is my body given for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you. And that's why we do that to this day, to remember what happened at this, the Last Supper. But then Jesus went on to do some teaching. And the the story picks up in Luke here. Jesus says, but here at this table sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. Jesus is sitting there with his 12 disciples and says, there's a friend among us who is going to betray me. And we historically look back, we know what happens. Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, betrays Jesus. He sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. He basically gets Jesus arrested. And his arrest leads leads to his eventual death by crucifixion. And the disciples are taken aback by this and do what I think any of us would do. They began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Is it you? Is it you? It ain't me. It ain't me. Not this guy. They're going back and forth and trying to figure out who it is. Why would you do it? How could you do it? We've spent years traveling with this guy. We've spent years building up this ministry. And now you're going to betray him? How could you do this? But the conversation quickly turns because the very next verse, Luke tells us, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. It went from who is the worst, who is the betrayer, who is the person who's going to sell Jesus out to quickly look at me. How great am I? I think we often do this. We often make things about ourselves or about how great we are. Jesus told his disciples, he reacts to this, he says, in this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. In this world, in this society, in our world, the way it works is we like to be great. We like to have positions of power. 
We want to be the best athlete, the, the climb the corporate ladder, be the best at whatever we're doing. And we want people to know about it. We like to lord it over people. The disciples did this. They did this at the Last Supper, but they had done this previously. There's an instance in, in the New Testament where the disciples are arguing and, the, and they want to sit at Jesus' left hand and right hand in the kingdom of God. They really care about what position they're going to be in, where they will sit in the kingdom of heaven. They want the power. They want the authority. They want to be the best, the greatest. But Jesus says, but among you it will be different. It will be different than the way the rest of the world works. I told you earlier I worked at a Bible camp, and when you, go, when you work at a Bible camp, one of the things you do is you sing silly songs, and these silly songs have silly actions. And one of these songs was called something like Upside Down, and I apologize in advance for my singing. Not a singer, not on the worship teams we have here for a reason, but it went something like this. He's the king of the kingdom, upside down. If you want to go up, you got to go down to be the greatest, learn to be the least, living in a kingdom, upside down. And I didn't know what that song was about. I didn't really get what that meant. I spent years working at this camp, and it took me a long time to figure out what does it mean to be the king of the kingdom upside down? Is heaven going to be in the sky, but upside down, what's going on there? But what Jesus is saying is it's going to be different. It's going to be completely different than the rest of society. Whereas the rest of the society, you try to be the best and then lord it over people. No, in my kingdom, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like the servant. If you want to be great, you become the least. It's flipping the hierarchy upside down. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that earlier in the day when he washed the feet of his disciples. They entered into the room and he took the job of the lowest servant. If you don't know, washing feet at this time was the most disgusting thing you could do. It was reserved for the lowest servant because it was the lowest thing you could do. Think about it. This is Jerusalem in 30-something A.D. Feet were disgusting. You see, they walked in sandals. They didn't have nice shoes. And the roads weren't that great. And think about how Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. How did he come in? On a donkey. Where do you think that donkey went to the bathroom? You see, feet were disgusting. And Jesus chose to take on this lowest role and wash their feet. He chose to be the servant. Jesus is God, and yet he chose to become a human. He's the greatest thing you can be. God. And we celebrate Christmas because it's where Jesus chooses to become a human. Not nearly as great as God. And not only that, he could 
have chosen to come into the world and then be the king and this Messiah and this warrior king who conquers all of enemies and is celebrated by the Jewish people. But Jesus breaks expectations. Instead, he comes in as a servant. He spends time with tax collectors and sinners. He heals the lame, the sick, the blind, and he dies. God. That's service. That's being a servant. He could have been the greatest, and he is the greatest. But to show it, he chose to become a servant. He goes on to say, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Obviously, the one who sits at the table. Of course, the one who is being served is more important. That's the way the world works. That's the way society works. That's the way it still works for us today. But not here, Jesus says, not in this upper room and not in my kingdom, not in the kingdom of God, for I am among you as one who serves. What Jesus is saying is it's not about becoming the greatest. It's about serving one another. What he's telling the disciples is it's not about you. Guys, how do you not get it? It's not about you. It's not about the rank you have. It's not about where you're going to sit in the kingdom of God. It's not about you. It's about serving one another. It's about loving one another. Look at my life. That's what I did. How have you not gotten it yet? But you know what? Eventually, the disciples got it. You see, in the Gospels, the disciples did not get it. They made a lot of mistakes. They messed up time and time again. And quick side note, one of my favorite things about the Gospels, these firsthand eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, one of my favorite things about them, and they were written by the disciples, the two of them were, and the other ones were very much influenced by the disciples, is how often the disciples look like fools in them. How often these disciples are not the great people that they want to be. How they lack faith, how they do the wrong thing, how they argue about who's the best after Jesus tells them some, one of them is going to betray him. But these disciples eventually get it. They eventually understand it. Because you see, these 12 disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven went on to start the church. They went on to build the global church from basically the 12 of them to 2 billion people today who would call themselves Christians because the disciples got it. They eventually became servants. They eventually figured it out. And you know what? 11 of them out of 12 went to an early grave because of it. They eventually figured out it's not about how great I am. It's about serving one another. These imperfect disciples eventually understood that it wasn't about them, but it was how much God could use them. And guys, church, it's not about you, but God will use you. One of the great themes of Scripture is God using imperfect people. So if you think, I got to get my whole life figured out before God is going to use me, that's not true. Jesus used the disciples way before they were ready. Jesus used these imperfect people and allowed them to get practice doing his work while he was on earth. He could have done a better job, but he gave the disciples chance after chance to practice doing his work. 
And eventually, the disciples got good at it. And eventually, they built the church. And Jesus probably was frustrated from time to time, probably thinking, man, I could do a better job. Wow, let me get on in there. But he let his disciples do his work to give them practice. That's how God works. He uses us imperfect people and gives us chances to do his work. And when I was sitting at that Easter lunch all those years ago, I didn't understand what was happening. I thought it was dumb. I thought, why are we doing this? We all understand this story. We know this story. We don't need to teach each other this story. And you know what? The mom who made us do it, she could have taught it way better than all of us. But she let us do it. Because it wasn't about us. It wasn't about how much we knew about the story. It was about giving her kids and her kids' friends chances at getting better at telling the gospel so that we in our futures would be able to be successful in it. It wasn't about us. But God was still going to use us. Church, that's what I'm here to say today. Jesus is for you, but it's for the sake of others. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me when I say it's not about you. Jesus is so for you. That's why he washes his disciples' feet. That's why he instituted communion. That's why he broke the bread, and it's for you. That's why he says, this is my cup given for you, my blood shed for you. And that's why he goes to the cross. As we look forward to Good Friday, he goes to the cross to die for you and your sins. And he rises again to conquer the grave and conquer over sin for you. That's all for you. But it's not just about you. It's about using that for others, for the sake of others. Jesus is for you, but it's for the sake of others. That's why we at Christ Church say all the time we are a church for those not here yet. We want to give you everything you need. We want Jesus to radically change your life, and we've seen it happen time and time again, but we don't just want it for you. We want Jesus to change your life, and then we want to see how much your life change impacts those around you so that you can help us and help God change the lives of those around you. Jesus is for you for the sake of others. So as we celebrate this Monday Thursday, let's look back now at why we call it Monday Thursday. Because in John 13, after Jesus gets done washing his feet, he tells them, a new command I give you, a new mandate, a new mandatum, mandi. What is this command? Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In one of John's letters, he says, we love because he first loved us. So as this Holy Week progresses, as we think about all the ways Christ has loved us and all the ways Christ has changed our lives and all the ways Christ is going to continue to radically change our lives, use that to love one another. During this time of COVID-19 and the pandemic and social distancing and all these things that are happening, take part in what you're being asked to do with social distancing. Because it's not just about you. For me, I'm a 24-year-old healthy male. 
if I get COVID-19, I'm probably going to be fine. And yet I'm taking part in all the social distancing I'm being asked to do. Why? Not because I need to for my own health. I don't want to get it. But I'm doing it for the sake of others. And I hope y'all are doing that too. I hope y'all are taking part as well. But let us love each other in other ways too. Let us love one another because Christ first loved us. So beloved children of God and you beloved child of God, this child of God that Christ died for, love one another, love and serve your neighbor because Christ first loved you. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we come before you today, Monday, Thursday, thankful. Thankful at the traditions that you instilled. The tradition of washing one another's feet so that we can be reminded to serve one another. Thankful for communion so that we are reminded tangibly of your grace for us. But Jesus, we are even more thankful for who you are, for your nature, that God, you chose to become a human. And not just any human, but a human that would die for us, to wash over our sins and to conquer the grave for us. So God, help us use this love and this grace that we've been given, not just to change our own lives, but to change the lives of those around us as well. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.